dream, believe, achieve. When you are ready to level up 1720, the podcast for next level Christians. Maybe you have moved cross country. Perhaps it was for a job or to go off to school. However, few of us would consider making a move like that with a wife, two kids, no job, no income, and no home to call your own. And your only plan is God better show up. Yet this is the plight of startup church pastors everywhere. These men and women have a dream to reach and love people for Jesus. Today, we interview one such pastor, Will Riddle. We discuss what possessed this South Carolina farm boy to move to Colorado and start Gateway City Church. Over the course of the next 40 minutes, or about 28 minutes if you're listening on time and a half, we will discuss what it feels like when God is calling you to do something you have already clearly said no to, the greatest advice Will has ever received, his number one battle, and how he finds strength in the struggle. So let's hop into this informative and revealing interview. We are here with uh, Pastor Will Riddle. Uh, he actually, um, he is my pastor now. Uh, we started uh, attending his church probably about four or five weeks ago. If you've been listening to the podcast, you probably have heard me mention Will several times. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he finally, I finally got a chance to get him into the uh, uh, the studio and uh, have some conversation with him. I want to get a little, get you, let you guys get to know him a little bit, uh, learn a little bit about his background, yeah. figure out how he got here. How, how, what, what in God's name <laughs> <laughs> causes someone to uh, to want to start a startup church? God's name. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's uh, <laughs> but a bump. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's that like? What's it like to start a startup church? It's a very small church. You guys have been, what, rolling for about 12? Uh, 14 weeks now. 14 weeks. 14 weeks old now. So brand new. They were good enough to put it in the school literally at the end of our road here. So we took that as a sign and yeah. started to attend. But uh, just so Will, where'd you get, where'd you come from, buddy? Uh, how'd you, how'd you find yourself here in, uh, in lovely uh, uh, Thornton, Colorado? Found ourselves here. Uh, it all, it, honestly, everything just kind of started uh, is I'm a, I'm from South Carolina, mm-hmm. a little small town in South Carolina, Saluda, South Carolina. Yeah. Um, grew up on my dad's farm there. And uh, but I had the I had the really great fortune of 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 having two parents that loved to snow ski, and so they had uh, my parents and my best friend's parents. They had us on snow skis at the age of three. Nice. Grew up skiing on the East Coast, and uh, well, that's not really skiing. It's, yeah, it's it's more like it's like a hill. Yeah, it's more like icing. Is what I, it, it's more yeah, like ice skating yeah. on skis. Because uh, I've seen their lifts. It's, yeah, exactly, exactly. Did it have a rope, or did you actually get to sit? sit no, down you actually got to you got to you got to you got to sit down. Yeah. For but, like um, three minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, the um, the 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 base the base of every resort here is is at a, at a higher altitude than the peaks of yeah. of anything we skied on the East Coast. Oh yeah. But uh, grew up skiing in uh, 16, 17 years old, seventeen years old, I think. Uh, my best friend and I, we wanted bigger mountains, better snow, and so uh, started saving up our money to come out west to go skiing every spring break. Fell in love with it, and at at seventeen years old, wanted to. Wanted to move to Colorado and have wanted to live here ever since. What did you do to raise money when you were a kid? Uh, I worked on my, my dad's farm. Oh, he, I, I, yeah. he paid you? I thought that was. I thought that was. Uh, yeah, he. Um, yeah, he, my unpaid, dad. My, I my that dad, whole deal was unpaid labor. That was. Yeah, the, my my dad was gracious enough to pay me, and uh, and then and then whatever I didn't get paid, he he would all he would fund things for me. So if if I if I wasn't getting paid, mm-hmm. he would contribute to. A trip to a trip out west or something like that, and so, um, so yeah. But my dad was gracious enough to actually pay me, and so uh, save money. And um, what did you guys farm? Uh, we it's, it's changed over the years, as most things do in any particular industry. But sure. uh, um, in the in the seventies, they is a lot of cotton. Eighties, uh, a lot of row cropping. 
and uh, wheat, soybeans, things like that. Uh, and then um, m- mid late eighties, my mm-hmm. dad built uh, my dad built uh, built turkey houses. So we raised turkeys, and uh, and then later on, this like was the big rows of. Is it the same thing as chickens or is it a different? No, it's, it a, it's the same thing. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, so the houses were, you know, they're, they're 50 feet by 500 feet. So you got 25,000 square feet. Holy crap. How many and, turkeys will fit in 2,500 square feet? Um, typically you put in, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, I, I think I, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I, I may be wrong on this. Um, it's like, it's one bird per, per two square feet. Hey, that's pretty good. No, yeah. So, um, and then, and then now, and then, and then once I got, it was, this was in college. No, this is after I graduated college. Um, uh, he transitioned everything over to, to chickens. So he now, he had, and he, and he doubled the, doubled the farm. And so now there's, there's actually six chicken houses. And so, uh, and so whenever all, whenever all of houses are full, he's got, he's got up, he's got upwards of 200,000 chickens on the property. So if you've um, ever lived next to chick or been near chicken farms, which I have as a child, yeah. Arkansas, it's Tyson, Tyson yeah. country. And um, how was the smell? Did you ever get used to that? Because it's, okay, so, it's pretty, so, it can so be pretty pungent. It could be. Uh, f- thankfully, over the years, technology being what it is and increasing, it, it, it incre- it, technology gets better in chicken farming as well. And so they've done a better job of, of actually uh, keeping the houses drier because it's, when, it's whenever it gets wet is the problem. Oh, really? So, so, it's, so But they've got... Ventilation now, but anyway, my dad always said that it smells like money. <laughs> but uh, I like his point of view. I actually disagree with him because I, I never really saw that much of it. So, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I've smelled money. It doesn't yeah, smell like that, but yeah, I could see the core. Yeah. My, my see dad, it. my dad said it smelled like money. And yeah. So, but uh, but no, grew up doing that, man. And um, and uh, so you're always sort of an industrious kind of kid. Always, man. It was um, it was, you know. You know, growing up on our on our farm, you know, and honestly, it's taught me just the value of hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, taught me the value of hard work because you know, you know, it's self employed, and uh, and I, I I moved back to my hometown after graduating college and went sure. to, and went to work for my dad, and you know, and uh, and it was you know it was it was seven there was something to do seven days a week, you know. So before we went to church on Sunday, you know, we got up and we we went and worked the farm, yeah, and uh, and it was this thing of like you know if you didn't do if something was broken and you didn't fix it. Or repair it, it didn't get repaired. Yeah, it's so different than working, say, like at McDonald's, right? Like if you don't, right. like if you take three days off at McDonald's, someone else did the job while right. you were gone, right? Right. But you, that's not true of the farm. No, not at all. You steal three days. You know, yeah. you steal three days from future days where you you're end very, up doing that. You're work. very strategic when, 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 you, when you, when you plan like your, your days off or sure. you plan a vacation because in between, so like we, so with his chickens now, he'll, he'll raise them. He'll get them when they're one day old. He'll raise them till they're, you know, I think seven weeks old now. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then there's that turnaround time between, you know, between you selling a flock and you bringing another one in, it, it can be anywhere from 10 days to two weeks. Wow. And so, so that's your that's your window of, of taking a trip or so, um, go to grand Canyon now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, my, and my parents actually, they were, they were just out here, um, over father's day weekend. And so that was great to have them in town. Yeah, it was awesome. So it was great. Cool seeing them. Yeah, man. So married their whole lives. I take it. Uh, yeah. Uh, not their whole life, but, um, yeah, know, they probably waited yeah, a couple years. They waited a few years, but they got That's married. Great. They got married in 1975, November of 1975. That was when I was born. Yeah, man. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, uh, well, three, not November, but yeah, 75. And then, uh, three years later, I come around in the fall of 78. So, and, uh, then my sister, she was born, uh, 81. Just, uh, one sister? Yep. Just the two of us, man. That's not a normal farm family. Usually they're pretty massive. Yeah. Now, now my, yeah. Like, now my dad, my dad is one of four. 
Um, my and and then his dad is is one of eleven. So uh, so yeah. So what did they think about your crazy uh, wild haired idea to uh, to basically uh, move cross country? That you know a lot of people move cross country. Sure. I think very few people move cross country uh, and shoot to be unemployed. <laughs> right. yeah yeah like, like when we get there yeah. we're gonna make no money it's gonna be great oh yeah and oh well, by the way honey uh we're, we're living in a house that that someone's gonna loan us for a little while right. i don't know what happens after that right how does that whole conversation go down and um i've always been in, very interested in this idea of the calling of god on your life because you know i i think my phone's been off the hook uh because he hadn't called me very much right yeah um, and asked, so Thomas is one of the guys who, who came out here with you and works sure. with you, asked him the same question. I said, you know, how do you, how do you know it was a calling? Right. And he said, well, just everything sort of lined up. And I guess in that sense, you know, sure. I've had callings, Sure. Uh, but when you say you were called to do this and I assume that was the justification that was necessary to tell your wife you were going to cruise yeah. cross country. Yeah. And, and so as far as my parents are concerned, uh, um, supportive, um, you know, it was, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, they, you know, we, we brought, we brought, we brought three grandkids across the country too. So they were probably more heartbroken yeah, at tough. that than, than, than <laughs> now will you can go leave. The yeah, kids. yeah. Yeah. Leave the grandkids. Yeah. That, um, but no, they were supportive. My mom has been, um, we've always been involved in, in ministry to some degree. My mom has been, I think October of this year will be 33 years that she's been a music minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20, 20 plus of those years were volunteer basis only. Sure. And, uh, and so, um, and then, and my dad is in the church that I grew up in, in Saluda. Uh, my dad served as a deacon, uh, there, you know, um, you know, for really, he was, he was ordained as a deacon before, I think before I was born. Uh, and so, and he served on, he served on the body of deacons there on rotation for, you know, really all my life. And so, uh, and so whenever, so whenever it came to, when it came to, to serving within the church, whenever it came to feeling like called into ministry, um, very supportive. And then, and then same thing here, you know, whenever, um, whenever we, we first had the conversation about moving to Denver to, to plant a church, uh, very supportive, but just like any great parents would be, they asked a lot of questions, asked a lot of questions, um, Wanted to make sure that, you know, wanted to make sure that we were making the right decision. Wanted to make sure that we had thought through everything that there is to think through when when doing that. You know, you don't, you know, you know, there's... Had you thought through everything? Um, I would say that we had because um, the, you know, when you talked, you mentioned earlier, you know, like, hey, hey, honey, we're, we're moving across the country to go plant a church. Uh, the beautiful thing about this, about this decision for us and our family was... The, the initial conversation that that was had between my wife and I, it was posed, it came up because of a question that she asked me. Huh. Uh, we were on our way home from vacation in July of 2016, uh, where we had actually come to New Mexico to visit her mom and stepdad, which they're, they're, everybody's from South Carolina, but because of job, her, her stepdad was into, ended up coming out here getting a job. They've been here for about eight years now in, in New Mexico, but we had visited them. We were driving back across country and random question. We hadn't been talking about it. And my wife just asked me, she said, do you ever feel like God would call you to, to lead a church? And I said, no, <laughs> no. And, uh, and, uh, were you just being humble? No, I was being, no, 
I mean, I, I just, I just, I mean, and, and, and what I've learned is that, like, you know, I, I've literally said I would never be a lead pastor, mm-hmm. but I also said that I would, I would never be a student pastor. I would never be in full-time ministry. Uh, so literally, my wife even said at one point in time, 10 or 12 years ago, I will never live in Colorado. Right. So literally what we've learned is that everything that we say we're never going to do, that's that's what God ends up leading us into. Yeah, because he's got a sense of humor. He does. He yeah. does. But, you know, she asked, would you ever, do you ever feel like I would ever call you or, you know, delete a church? I said, no. Um, and, and, and but but I did say, I said, but if that's what God wants us to do, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just, I, and God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. But I, just if I could have my way, I would like to know that by the time I'm 40 years old. Sure. So take me through the process of going from a hard no to a packing your stuff in a car and splitting. I think it, I think honestly, the, the process for, from like hard no to where we are now is, is it just, it was just the question. And once a question's been asked, right, you, you can't put it back. You know, it's there. And and um, we always felt like God had called us to leadership of some kind, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so we, we knew we had that we had that in us uh, to lead. Um, we feel like we had the ability um, to lead on a on a on a larger scale than where we were. We didn't really know what that meant. Sure. Um, and, and I guess I guess saying I guess looking back on it now. Saying no, a hard no to that was I didn't want to say, well, that's what leadership is. Because, you know, you don't have to be a lead pastor to be a leader, to be a great leader. Um, and so I, I didn't I don't necessarily know that I wanted to put like a pin in it. This is what the this is the leadership that God's calling us to. Mm-hmm. Like this is what this is leadership defined. Um, cause I just, I don't, I don't believe that. I mean, I, I came from a church in Augusta, Georgia, where the lead pastor is phenomenal, but there's also incredible leaders that sit underneath his leadership. Right. Um, and so, uh, and I felt like God could raise us up to be the leaders that I believed he wanted us to be right there where we were. And, um, and so, but, but just that question was posed and, uh, and you know, we didn't, we didn't talk about it a lot immediately following that question and, you know, uh, that trip in July, but it, over time, it, it, it would just keep resurfacing. Sure. And and every time it resurfaced, you you think about it in a, in a new way. Mm-hmm. So every like two months down the road, that question resurfaces. Well, I think about it differently now than I did when it was first posed. You know, two months prior, and then so on and so forth. And so, um, so in, as we got to really the spring of 2017, we just felt like God was starting just to really stir up in our heart just a calling to something different maybe not more but just something different and so uh and so we sat on it we prayed on it we got advice from people and then finally in August of 2017 I went to my pastor um uh, pastor Marty Baker at uh, at Stevens Creek Church in Augusta which is the church I was on staff at and I said you know we we don't know what it means but we feel like God is is calling us to something different. Mm-hmm. Um, that different might still be within within the ministry of Stevens Creek Church, but we feel like God's calling us to something different. And what, my, is, what, what do you what does that mean? You you feel like God's calling you? That I, everybody says that. Yeah. Does that mean that like uh, you're driving down the road and uh, you look to the left and you said, God, if I look to the right and there's a chicken there, then that means obviously I'm meant to do something. Was there, what were, were there were there things that you were putting out there, no, wanting it, answers to and getting them, or what? What, did, what does that mean? No, it was. It's literally. Just, it's just as you grow, mm-hmm. 
as you grow, I've just noticed that um, within leadership, within ministry, within just life, as, as I grow, um, passions change. Sure. Uh, interests develop. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm a different person now than I was three years ago, I see things differently. I look at things differently. Um, and I think, and, and, and as you, and as interests change, uh, interests develop, sure. ma- maybe you've got an interest in something now that you didn't have because of just some of the experience you've gone through. Um, it was just that. So, so you would say then that God's calling is like, um, um, sometimes I, I call it, uh, the, the tuning fork concept where, you know, as you become more attuned with who God wants you to be, you start knowing what's not in tune right. with what you want. Right. Exactly. So you sort of go, oh, like a, it's like a piano tuner. They bring their tuning fork, they they sure. ting it, and they go, okay, well, this is in or out of tune. Yeah. Once you start to start to figure that out, and I think what's cool about aging or getting older, and and some people have it very young, and I'm very very jealous of those people, but to really start to get your tuning fork in, in a place, and then you start to go, well, these things I've been doing great, they've right. been fun, but they're just no longer in sure. tune with this new note that my soul is playing. Right. And so I I would say that's just, that's us. Mm-hmm. That was us is that, you know, we, you know, we, we took over our, our, the student ministry at our church. I was hired as a worship leader. Um, all I'd ever done in ministry, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was 20. And, uh, and, and I felt not long after that, again, just a calling into full-time ministry. I sure. felt like full-time ministry would be my vocation at yeah. some point in time. And, uh, and, you know, but I grew up in a little small Southern Baptist church in South Carolina where the only staff member was the pastor. Mm-hmm. He did everything. I mean, he ran the bulletins on Thursday and things like that. And I was like, right, well, if that, I don't want to do that. Right. And so, but, but I could play guitar, I could sing. Sure. I says, well, I'll just use this. And so I just, I just, whoever would have me church, camp, conference, whatever, I would just take my guitar and I'd, I'd go and I'd travel and I'd lead worship. And you know, did you have a Volkswagen bus? I, I did not. I did no, not. I had a, I had you a, missed the whole experience. I had though. a '92 Blazer though. <laughs> That's pretty close. Yeah. That's pretty close. But they both run about the same amount of time. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine was four wheel drive though. Mm. And so, uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, it was hunter green, so it wasn't two tone. Right. No, no wood panel. Oh man. I know. I know. I missed out. I missed out. Any Bondo? No. Uh, no, no Bondo on that one. No Bondo on that one. Man, um, you were riding high. I didn't realize. I, I know. But I know. you come from a deeply wealthy family. Now, 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 Grant, well, you know, now, okay, you say that, but my very first car, my very first car was a 1980 baby blue four in the floor Ford Pinto. Nice. Yes. And because I was super cool, I had, a, I had you know, the chain link license plate cover around the back. As, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's outstanding. Mine was a Fiero. Come on, let's uh, go. Yeah, it was yeah. a Fiero. Come on. I could do all kinds of fun things in that car. That car was it was ahead yeah. of its time. It was a good, it was a fun car. It was, it was, a, it was is that how you're going to claim ahead of its time? It was ahead of its time. Okay. It, uh, its engine was not ahead of its time. Right. But uh, the body was. Yeah. Everything else was pretty cool. But no, so that's what I did. That was, that, so that's what I did with ministry. You know, I, I, I didn't know really what ministry looked like, but I said, you know, I, I know what I can do. Mm-hmm. So I just took what I knew how to do. I just did that. And then, uh, and so that's how, and that's essentially how I got hired on at Stevens Creek. Somebody invited me to Stevens Creek. Um, I connected really, really well with the worship pastor. He and I have become great friends over the last, you know, 10 years or so. Sure. Um, uh, just definitely somebody that spoke into my life, a mentor for me, uh, helped me become a better worship leader, one of the most gifted people I've ever really been around. It's in, it, it makes me mad. Like, I have to work hard for music, and it just, it just comes really— He plays everything on the stage. This guy right here. He plays everything on the stage. This guy right here makes me sick. Yeah, Todd Sturgill, if you're listening to this at every point in time, like, man, you make me, you, you just make me jealous, man. Dave can literally listen to anything, and yeah. 10 minutes later, it's 
I can't, can't carry a note. No, God, I, God gave me a love for music in my heart. Yeah. And then the joke was everything from here up. Yeah. No bueno. Or, so, so, or from here down. So, really so for people like that, I just tell you, you don't get to lead worship, but you get to lead in worship. There you go. That's <laughs> so, what I'm talking about. So um, for me, it was, you know, it was really weird. Um, I read um, Billy Graham's biography. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know there was a role like that in ministry up until that reading that biography. I thought you had to lead a church. Same thing. Yeah. Which I, I knew I was never... That's right. not my gifting. I'm just not. Um, but but then there was this whole idea of uh, of, of being ev- uh, evangelical, yeah. which I grew up in an evangelical church, so you think I would understand the roots of that. But I don't really teach history and first. Oh my God, they just yeah. sort of yeah, holy yeah. Anyways, so um, they don't teach you how to do it. They just yeah. they just they just show you how to do it. Yeah. yeah. It, so so yeah, I you know I, I read it. I read that book. It really changed my life. I mean, it was I had no idea that uh, ministry could look like that, and it could be. Um, that that you that your focus could be on the um, on the salvation side of it. Now I switched it around a little bit and I said, okay, there's people out there doing that job. What I think's missing is people over here doing this other job. Once you've been saved, how do you go from zero to a hundred? Yeah, lots of work being done from getting you to negative twenty to zero. Mm-hmm. But how do you go from zero to a hundred? And so we really—that's what seventy twenty ended up being about. It was about focusing on this other half. Right. So I think of it as like evangelical after you've been saved. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing, but we're going to make it a thing. So we're pretty excited about that. Yeah. But no, I, that's really interesting. So I, I and, think, and I'll say for me, like one thing that nobody ever had to teach me was was the drive. Mm-hmm. Like, no, well, no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, I just I wanted to be if if I was going to be a worship leader, I wanted to be I wanted to be better tomorrow than I was today. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I stepped into student ministry, uh, my pastor said, "Hey, we want you to take over the student ministry at our church." This was two years after I'd been hired on staff, and I gave him four really good reasons as to why I was a bad I was I was a bad hire. <laughs> and um and what were the four reasons? The four reasons yeah, was yeah. Uh, so we're it was it's a relatively large church, so yeah. you know two thousand people in attendance. Sure, and uh, student ministry was struggling a little bit. Um, was no one person's fault. It's just uh, prior to me taking over, there's just been a lot of turnover in student ministry. So the four reasons were, um, one, I've never done this. And, you know, at a church of 2,000 people, you would think that, you know, we're at a place where whoever takes over this student ministry or any ministry within the church, you've got to have done it before. A little, it's on on some scale. Sure. And so, uh, and my pastor told me, he said, yeah, it's okay, you'll be fine. I said, okay. So, uh, so my how long na- had you known your pastor by this point? By this point, uh, three and a half years. Yeah. How well did he know you? Probably better than I thought he did. Yeah. Okay. Good. So yeah. So the second reason was, um, um, was it's kind of in line with the first was that, um, you know, this student ministry is struggling right now. Mm-hmm. So not only do you need somebody that's done this before, you need somebody that's done it well. Right. And has actually, like, built something, grown something, led something. Sure. And uh, his response was, yeah, it's okay, you'll be fine. <laughs> this is my first church I've ever been on staff with. So, you know, and, and the church I grew up in, like, man, I, I literally, I don't know anything about student ministry. Yeah, it's okay, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And then I said, and I, I'm assuming you're going to want me to preach. <laughs> and he said, yes, we're all, we, we, that's going to be a big part of what you do. Um, and I said, yeah, I've never done that before either. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, you'll be fine. I was like, all right. But, um, and so, uh, so yeah, that was, that was, but, but here's the thing, but because, um, I didn't care about a position. Yep. I didn't care about a title. Yep. I just believed in the vision of our church. And if I was on staff at my church, my job was to do whatever I could to further the vision of our church. And if, and if, if that meant I needed to sweep floors and clean, clean bathrooms, 40 hours a week, if that's how I could best serve my church that I believed in, well, then that's what I would do. And we would have the cleanest bathrooms, you know, of any church in the city. 
Um, but this is what they were asking of me. And because, and, and I didn't feel called to that role right out of the gate. I just felt called to my pastor. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I felt called to serve my pastor and, and whatever he was asking me to do. And then, and then as I stepped into that role, um, with a lot of hesitation. Well, let me, let me say this. So I think there, um, I think there's sort of two ways to, to get faith. So one of the things 7020 is based off of is the whole concept that, you know, if you had the faith of mustard seed, you could tell a mountain to move from here from there. Sure. And it would move and nothing yep. would be impossible for you. But you know, we've always sort of struggled and we, we feel like in, in general in the, in the world, there is a, a, we're running at about a 30 watt bulb right now of faith, right? There's just not a lot of strong faith out there. And, and one of the things we struggled with for a long time and, and tried to find an answer to, which is how do you get faith? Uh, how do you get faith? And there's sort of two ways you can go about it. One, you can do it. Yeah. So that solves your problem, right? You have faith that your car is going to make it here. You're not going to be in a horrible accident because you've done it a couple hundred thousand times. And now you just sort of know. The the other way that I think is um, biblical and the way that Jesus gave, or the the way that Jesus' disciples gained faith. And I think it's very interesting because I think it's the same way that you you gained faith from your pastor and you may not even recognize it. And that is when you are truly known by someone. Right. And they believe in you, right? Right. So they know all of your flaws. Mm-hmm. They know all the reasons why you shouldn't, and they still turn around and look at you and go, "No, I think you can." Yeah, that is a way to get faith without actually doing it. Absolutely. Right? So you can draw when some, faith from someone somebody, else. When somebody knows the worst about you, that's right, but still believes the best in you, that's right. That does something inside of you, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, um, that very few things can. Which, which is why, you know, one of the things we, you, I, I think you believe in this too, but one of the things we, we really believe in, um, and, and I think small groups are a big part of that, but part of it is, is, you, is there are a lot of people who go around not being known. Right. They go around not ever being known by anyone. And as a result, someone may come up to them and say, oh, no, I think you can do it. And you're in the back of your head, well, you don't know me. Because if you knew me, yeah. you would know I can't. And church, sadly, is a place where that exists a lot. A lot. A lot. Because it's where we got to look the best. Yeah, it's because like you know you show up, you show because we think church you show up to a service, and it's hard to be known by the person sitting in front of you when all you ever see is the back of their head, and they never knew you were there. Yeah, I and think so, I think it's that, but I think there's also like there's this 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 bar that sure. you're supposed to have met right. in order to be in church, right? Which is uh, which is wrong, which is sad, yeah. stupid. I yeah. mean. It, um, but it's true, and, and that bar, the well, long, no, no, the longer and smaller and more close knit the church is, it feels like that bar gets higher and higher right, and higher right. over the years. Yeah, it's at some point, like at some point in you know, you know, in the early in the early stages or phases or days of a church, you know, maybe even like ours, a church plant, um, you know, it's um, it's really really easy to to be known. It's really easy to to always remain inclusive. And then as you grow, you think you've arrived at some point, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, it turns into this really exclusive atmosphere where you have to have done this, accomplished this, been here, been there, right before you know when to put your hands up, when to put your hands down, absolutely. And so, um, so our 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 heart is as a church, just in in regard to that, is just you know, is really is, is as we grow larger is to really be intentional about about finding ways to be to grow smaller at the same time. Yeah, I know one of our other pastors, he was uh for the longest time, so we we went from a church that was small group intensive, sure. uh, another arc plant, uh to a church that was had no small groups at all. Right. And it was a huge church. And uh for the longest time we we're like, "Why? You know, why aren't they doing small groups? Why aren't they doing small groups?" And at some point the pastor actually got on stage and said, "I didn't want the church to become clicky." Mm. Because that's one of the other challenges is you've got a lot of established small groups and everybody's been getting together for the last 
four years together. Yeah. Right? And so when you think about trying to grow a church, clicks will kill it pretty quick because you don't end up getting connected. Well, that's, be- that's because people have the wrong view of clicks. Clicks have always existed. They exist in culture. All a click is is just a group of people who are at the same place in life or have similar interests getting together and doing stuff together. Yeah, no, it's, so, it's historical too, right? I, I, people I, no, people and, form a history together. Yeah. Like what makes us, what would make someone friends, right? What right. makes someone friends is, is that we have, we, you know, I remember that time that you fell off the boat. Ha ha ha. Do you remember that time? Yeah. It's shared experiences. Sure. So whenever a small group's been uh, established for a year or two, there's a lot of shared experience there that's is. in that group that when you come to that group, you're going to feel that. Yeah. And so it's really, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I love small groups. Some of my yeah. lifelong friends, that's where we met. All of our yeah. adult relationships that didn't form in high school formed as the result of a small Absolutely. group. Um, but I could certainly see his concern. Now, ultimately, that church has come back around, and now they're launching small groups. And, and, I, and I get that. I mean, and here's the thing. And I think, I think that's okay to a degree. Yeah. Um, for somebody to walk into a group and go, man, they've got experience with one another that that I've never had with anybody. I want that. And, and, and so, so I think yeah. it's okay. But as long as the existing group is aware. Yeah. So there, so I think you're really hitting on it, right? It's, it's the training of the leadership of the group. They've got to be able to recognize that there's a new person here and spend that time to get those guys acclimated you, and engaged. You've got to remain, you've got to remain inclusive. Now that's really easily said. Yeah. Very difficultly done. Extremely difficult to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, because it happens and you don't even know it's happening. Yeah, and I, and I, I guess I guess what I, I really say all this is to say, you know, if you're listening to this and you've ever been to a church and it felt very clicky, that's not by design. No. That just is human nature. It happens on its own. Yeah. We're very tribal people, yeah. and it's it, it just naturally you form a tribe. And it can be very challenging. So, you know, as we as we grow, I think as, as this church grows— one of the things we'll keep our eye on the ball is how do we, you know, how do you balance that? Absolutely. How do you, how do you try to make that okay? And here, and here's the deal: we're going to get it wrong sometimes. Oh, big time! We're we're going to go through seasons where we got it wrong for an entire season. Yeah. And somebody's going to call us on it, and we're going to. Ha- and, and this is the thing for us is like, and this is something I've always felt like I've been good at, um, uh, is that um, I'm always open to somebody having any kind of constructive criticism, you know, or. Um, I'm always open to the ideas and the opinions of other people. And, and when I see that I'm wrong, I really do. I feel like I've always done a great job of making, um, taking immediate steps toward correction, toward realignment with, with the vision. And so, uh, and, and we're going, and as a church, you know, uh, how long were you in student ministry before you came here? Um, we were in student ministry for five years. Oh, that's a good time. Five, Five years. Yeah, I was because my counterpoint to that was when people um, start to have wins under their belt. I think anyone in a new position is generally open to criticism, but sure. once you've successfully succeeded, right, yeah. it becomes a little more challenging well, to but, keep that. But, but you know, and and again, I think that's perspective too. Um, my my perspective on on winning has nothing to do with what I'll gain in this life. Yeah, clearly, and I got to tell you, um, you know, a lot of people say that. I think you're one of the first people I've met. Well, that's not probably not true, but you're definitely one of the few people I've met where that's genuinely, genuinely, at your heart. I can be better tomorrow than I am today, no matter no matter what I have or have not accomplished in life. And and so for me, I tell people, you know, that there even people on our team, you know, I was like, you know, there, you know, we we didn't start this church or anything like that to to necessarily obtain anything. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's no finish line. You know, it, it's it's a race that we run. The, like the finish line is death. Like we get to rest when we die. That's right. Uh, until we die, we will 
We will, we will love people with, in, the, in the way that we will strive to love people the way that Jesus loved them. We will strive to serve people in the same way that Jesus has served people. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and really, and honestly, I had a lot of friends that have asked me, you know, in the process of, of planting a church pre-launch, launch, post-launch, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many things that you're doing that you've never done before. I'm sure you're learning a ton. And, and honestly, you know, you know, leadership relative, it pretty much is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, you know, actually, you know, actually there's the one thing that I'm learning over and over and over again. The one thing that I feel like God's teaching me over and over and over again is really one of the same things that he taught me early on in my faith was, um, it's just love me and love other people. And I remember like in my prayer, in my prayers, you know, I just got to hey, just love me and love other people. Mm-hmm. Well, well Okay, well, well, God, that's something you taught me a long time ago, and God's like, yeah, you're you're still not great at it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you just if you just if you just, if you just love me and you love people, yeah, you know you 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 know the other things to do. Sure. Um, and then uh, and then a really good friend of mine, one of our overseers, his grandmother just passed away, and he was able to spend some time with her before she passed away, and. And his grandmother gave him this advice, you know, at, right before she passed away. And then he, in turn, gave me this advice. Um, he said, it's probably the greatest advice anybody's ever given me. And, uh, and she told her grandson, um, she said, uh, she said, just, she said, keep pursuing Jesus and never give up. Right. Well, there you go. That's uh, that's great advice. Um, well, I'm going to ask one other couple questions. I got, and then I've got, and I've got a special uh, set of requests from you. So, yeah, I've got a feeling that you and I could, we we could go off on tangents all day long. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, so let me let me ask one other question. So, so yeah. you you and your wife felt called. You decided you decided to make the move. Uh, you're 12 weeks into this. 14. Four, excuse me. That's right. 14 weeks into this, and um, so where are you now? We're, and, 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 and here's what, here's what I think people find interesting is vulnerability yeah. and struggle and challenge. Yeah. Because if you go, matter of fact, Silicon Valley is known to have what they call a crushing it culture. Sure. And it's caused many, um, entrepreneurs to commit suicide mm. because when they look to the left and they look to the right, everybody's crushing it except for them. And that is a challenge. Right. And so, yeah. One of the things I'm going to ask you, and I just ask you to reflect upon it, is uh, wh- wh- what's what's been scary? All what? of it. I mean, I mean, you know, and I know that's a really general answer, but really all of it. Um, the idea, because uh, my wife and I, we're both native South Carolinians, sure. So literally, all of our family, all of our friends, uh, are there, and uh, to pick up and move to a state that, well, I, I, and I didn't feel like I was moving somewhere that I'd never been because I'd visited here a ton. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I, I felt like there was a level of comfort to where we were coming because I knew the area, sure. but we still didn't know anyone. Uh, that's scary. Um, and, uh, how, how do you, how do you, um, in your, how do you, how do you process fear? How do you process? In other words, how does it manifest itself in, uh, in, in me? In you, yeah. Insecurity. Okay. Uh, insecurity is the number one battle that I face, you know, in my life. And what does that sound like in your mind? Uh, it's probably what's created a little bit of a workaholic mentality in me is that nothing's ever good enough. Okay. Nothing's ever finished. Uh, everything that you've done could always be better. Um, you know, and, and, and that's true. You know, I can, I can, I can work harder. I could do this better, but, um, but the struggle that I face is that, um, is that even the idea of something could be better, 
uh, it means that it means that what I've what I've actually done is is terrible. That's 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 the trap I fall into. Yeah. So I think that narrative is more interesting than it could be better. Yeah. Because I think the narrative of it could be better. Anyone could say that. Anybody could say that. But but it is this process of it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, I told um, I think I said on the last one of famous podcasts before last. I can't edit this podcast for three days because it's crap. Right. It's total crap. I hate everything we did. I yeah. don't feel like anything made it through. And uh, it's very depressing. And uh, Martin actually had a really unique insight. And it has really been helpful to me. And that is, he goes, it's like a wave. He goes, um, on the ocean, you know, there's the, the crest is followed by a valley. Yes, it is. And he goes, you shouldn't expect that. Or you should become, you should start to expect that. Yeah. I was like, oh, so, so, and, and then he said one other thing. He said, anything worthwhile is going to cost you. Right. And that also I thought was really interesting. So this idea of paying, paying a price for an output of energy that was the crest of the wave and then immediately feeling that trough afterwards. Sure. Just that sucked. Yeah. It was horrible. Right. That, that's very much so. Um, and, you know, and, and thankfully, you know, even though, even though they weren't like here with us, um, we had a really, a really great support system, you know, uh, in, you know, in our previous church, our home church. Um, uh, one of our overseers is my pastor, mm-hmm. Pastor Marty Baker. Um, and then we've got, we've got four other overseers that, you know, they consistently are calling me, checking in on me, advising me, uh, helping me work through any kind of negative emotions I may be feeling. Awesome. Um, and so, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and feelings are always real. Nobody, nobody, you know, we don't, we don't want to, you don't want to belittle how you feel. Feelings are real. They're just, you just need people to always help you understand that they're not always right. Oh no, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Like feelings, 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 like it's, it's, it's how you feel. Well, you know, and also, so don't, so don't brush past it. It's how you feel, but you said you, but you need people in your life that'll come around and Hey, listen, it's okay for you to feel this way. As long as you understand that how you feel is, is not necessarily right. Well, and I also like the idea that uh, your feelings are not who you are. Right. You're a person having some depression. You're a person having some anger. You're a person having some happiness. Yeah. But you're not an angry person. You're not right. a depressed person, and you're not a happy person. Well, and, and I'll say this: you know, I, you know, admittedly, I, I about two years ago, I, I struggled with a bout of depression. Um, but I think that's really, and I don't think I've ever really picked up on this in my own life, in my own experience with depression. I never, I never told anybody that I was depressed. Mm. I told people that I was struggling with depression. Right. And I've never thought about it until you just said that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a totally it it's a totally different it, it's sort of interesting like I was going down the road yesterday and I'm constantly chased by time. Sure. And I'm constantly chased by some I don't know goal I've set for myself that I maybe even haven't very well defined. Yeah, you don't even know what the goal is, yeah, but just, I've got I, one. I just feel like I'm way behind it all yeah. the time. And you yeah. know I was driving down the road yesterday and I just I was really Sort of in knots about it, and for no particular reason, right? Uh, and then I was, and then just in a moment, I go, "Oh, wait a minute! I, I don't have to feel this way, right? I can let this go, yeah, right. It's a, it's a valid emotion. There it is. Let it go. But it's yep. not. I'm not. I don't have to be that person anymore, right? And it's a very interesting thing. But I also like what you said that you have a group of people, and uh, if you and that we we talked about this in one of our other podcasts. But if you don't have a group of people, you need to get a group of people. Sure you and do. And that's so freaking hard. I know it's so easier said mm-hmm. than done, but you've got to. 
I actually prayed that God would bring me a couple people, and He did. And my, you know, the, my core go-to folks have sort of changed a little bit because of His answering of that prayer. Sure. But I started praying that prayer. I recognized that need. Right. But what I like about that for you, because you're in the profession of pouring out, you have to have someone pour into you. Yeah, you have to. Um, you know, I, I've. I subscribe to the to the to the principle of you know uh, you know and, and and our overseers you know they're they're just that they are my oversight, and so because for me um, leadership without oversight is just it's dangerous to but the organization can, and to the individual. But doesn't that sort of make them your boss? And if so, can you truly be transparent with those guys? Absolutely, I can. Because the people, and, and, this is being recorded. I guess there's no other right answer than that one. Well, but but it, but it is the right answer because um, the people who serve as our overseers, they're not just random people. Sure, they are people that know me, know me well, know my family, know my children's names, and uh, and in a conversation, you couldn't that, lie if you wanted to. No, <laughs> if uh, if I was on the phone with my pastor just the other day and. Um, and he asked me a question and I gave him an answer. He said, that's great. Now what, now how do you really feel? Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and so, no, I, so literally the people that are serving as our overseers, there's, there's, there's no lie I can hide behind because they just know me that well. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, I would argue you will be, you would be unsuccessful at this endeavor if that, if you did not have that group, if of they people. didn't if, no, if that group of people did not exist. Um, and truth be told, uh, I don't think I would, I don't think I would survive any of this or be successful in any of this. If, um, if we didn't have that from the perspective of the people who attend our church, you know, if, if, if the guy who leads this church doesn't have a leader, who does he who does he answer to? Sure, and and so and so like by by having a group of people that serve as oversight and our overseers, um, to, I, I, it's my prayer that, that that establishes a level of trust. No, and, and I get that right. So I, I get the whole you know there's a hierarchy. You know someone's watching what we do, but that's not you. You can <laughs> you should certainly have that. Everybody yeah, should yeah, have yeah. that. Now, but but my point is is that. Uh, it's about you and your ability to make this marathon. Sure. Uh, because it's a marathon. Yeah. And uh, that process, you know, as, as an entrepreneur uh, in the past and uh, now, I guess, and, and working with a lot of other entrepreneurs, it is, a, it is probably the most lonely process on the planet. It is. And, and admittedly, you know, you're asking me, like, hey, how are we doing now? Uh, we're 14 weeks old, and I'll admit, you know, I've I've quit three times. <laughs> I've quit three times in the last 14 weeks. Right, not today. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't quit today. I that's quit. I, I quit earlier this week. Yeah, that's good. I quit earlier this week. Um, and, and 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 just and please understand that is that's that's essentially it's metaphorical. No, it didn't have but, to be metaphorical. But it can but, it can but, be real, and that's but okay. But because from, but from an emotional standpoint, yeah. like it's it's it can be so difficult. Sure. And um, that you like you know is is this worth it? I heard one guy. I asked a guy once who's uh, who who was very successful, and I said, "Man, I said, don't you ever get tired of punch getting punched in the face?" <laughs> yeah. I said, "It just feel like this whole journey is just a series of getting punched in the face." Yeah. He looked at me and goes, uh, "No, you learn to duck." Yeah. So it's not like the punches don't keep coming, but at some point you start to learn to bob and weave a you, little you bit do. better. You right? learn. You learn to navigate your way around that's the ring. That's right. And so, uh, and so, but as you level up, I think what the other thing that's interesting is people think they've beat it or they've hit some level in their life. But if you're going to level up, you're going to you're going to learn hurt. to bob and weave it's all over hurt. again, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if you're in the gym, anytime, any if you're in the gym, and, and I don't really do this kind of workout anyway anymore. You know, ever since you know I don't play sports anymore. But um, but you know, 
every time you're looking to increase your max on on the bench press, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. But you're gonna be better for it on the other side of it. And um and and so I think that's I think that's what you know. Um, yeah, our last podcast was on on challenges and yeah, challenges are the only thing that bring about change. Right? It, it is. Yeah, you yeah. have to go through a challenge. Strength strength is found in the struggle. And we talked a lot. Uh, we've, we've sort of been centering and, and, and spending some time on this idea of resistance. And uh, a lot of people, when they run into resistance in their life, they'll want to shy away from that. Mm-hmm. But that's on the other side of resistance. That's the secret Absolutely. to your next level in well, life. I, I preached a sermon, you know, several weeks back. And I said, you know, and I, I think I think the state I think this, the statement that I made was uh, the resistance that you face today is what creates the resilience you need for tomorrow. Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed meeting Will. If you want to learn more about his church, head on over to gatewaycitychurch.co or on Instagram at Gateway Colorado. This interview is really a two-parter. If you've ever wanted to ask a pastor the really hard questions, like how can there be a good God when 9 million children die each year in poverty and pain, then be sure to listen to the next podcast because that is exactly the kinds of questions we will tackle. Thanks for spending this time with us. If you have not already, subscribe to our podcast and remember to leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play Each positive review raises our rank and exposes this content to people who would probably not normally hear it. You can find links to all of our social media pages, YouTube channel, and iTunes and Google Play at 1720.org forward slash podcast. This is also a great way to share our content with anyone who you think would benefit from it. Finally, be sure to follow our page on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash 1720.org, and subscribe to our newsletter at 1720.org. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week.